0: Well, community, um, I think the last time I preached in the morning, I spoke about community as well, and um, I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I feel like I should, about six weeks ago, my, my grandfather passed away, and um, you know, people were saying, oh, you know, I'm really sorry for your loss, and it was sad, and, and it was, and I mean, there were great moments in it as well, he, he experienced a great miracle before he went, and um, just... After he passed away, um, I'd experienced something I'd never experienced before, and it was seeing a community come together, like really, really come together. And you know, I'm from a Lebanese background, and those of you from traditional backgrounds can probably relate to this, but you know, growing up, um, if even a really, really distant relative, probably relatives I'd, I'd never even met before passed away, like we were still expected to turn up and pay our condolences. And, and just be with the family and sit there and, and be supportive of them. And I remember growing up thinking, this is ridiculous, this is crazy. I don't even know the person. I don't know what they look like. I've never met them. I don't even know the family. Why are you making me go? And I could never understand it. Up until about six weeks ago when I was on, on the receiving end of it, and just sitting there with my family and watching over a couple of nights, 600 people stream through and basically do what you're, you're doing. Just sit there and just acknowledge that this is a difficult time in the family's life and that, and just sending a message that, hey, we're with you. Hey, we're here for you. Hey, we, we know the pain you're going through. And it was such a powerful experience to be a part of. And I thought, yeah, this, you know, there's such wisdom in those kinds of traditions. And th- they've been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. And we as kind of modern um, Western cultures tend to oh, look at that and say, no, that's not really for us, that's kind of old and traditional and we can do it better, but there's such wisdom in the traditions, and that one in particular about community was just so, so powerful. Um, and I, So I'm going to talk about um, community, but I'll get to it a little later. Um, the message I want to talk about this morning is um, how you get food in your wilderness, how you get food in your wilderness. And I'm saying your wilderness because there's a wilderness ordained for you. (laughs) And maybe you're in the wilderness at the moment, or maybe you've been through the wilderness, or maybe you'll end up in the wilderness at some point, but it's that dry and difficult place um, that you may have experienced, or you know, I have a feeling you will experience in the future. And it's not all bad news, and I'll get to that in a bit. And I wanna talk about how God actually provides food for us when we're in that wilderness period and part of that is community and part of that is a relationship with god so i'm not going to stand up here and say it's all community because it's not all about community but it's a big part of it so it's it's about taking the seeing the full picture because it's not just about community it's about a relationship with god it's about community so i want to bring those things together here this morning so God wants to set us free. That's what He's all about. And sometimes on your journey to freedom, He doesn't take you around the wilderness, He takes you through it. And God will provide food in the wilderness. And the good news is, um, he'll, he'll tell you how to get it. He provides the food and He says, hey, I'm gonna show you how to get it. Um, because if He provides the food, but we don't know how to get it, well, what's the point? We're, we're gonna starve to death in the wilderness, right? So thankfully, God shows us how to get the food that He provides for us. And so I'm going to talk about the two main ways God provides in the wilderness. And that's through a relationship with God and a relationship with others, community. And these aren't options. It's not like, oh, I can either have a relationship with God or community, okay, I'll take my pick, I'll choose my own adventure. No, it's like, no, they're not options. They're actually, uh, you have to have both. They're not mutually exclusive. You need both to survive the wilderness. Um, and secondly, it's, you know, it's just the way God seems to have designed it. There's no escape from it. There's, you know, I'm a lawyer. I like to look for loopholes and see, you know, can we get around this? You know, maybe we can just have a relationship with God, with our community. But, you know, the more I look into it, no, there are no loopholes. You actually need to have both. And um, it's like, and I get it, you know, especially in our day and age, in our culture, we don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> we don't like to be told, oh, no, you've got to be part of a community or, you know, encourage, oh, you should, you should become part of the community because we kind of like, no, oh, I want to work it out myself. I know what I need and, you know, why should anyone tell me what to do? And so, you know, it's not a fashionable thing to say, but you actually really, really need community. And I, I thought of this example. Take physical food as an example. Um, you need it to. You need to get it in you to survive, right? And your body is designed in such a way that to get the food in you, it's actually got to come through your mouth. You know, and the mouth's designed pretty good. It's got these choppers, and they break it down, and then it's got saliva, and that helps break it down as well, and then a tongue to swallow it. Like the, ma- the mouth is pr- designed pretty good. Like it gets the food into you. But s- say one day I woke up and I said, "No." I don't want to eat through the mouth anymore. I want to eat through my ear. <laughs> no, don't give me food th- through my mouth. Give it to me through my ear. Well, wouldn't that be ridiculous? I'd begin to starve and I'd probably die within a few weeks. Be- because the mouth, I need to use the mouth for what it was designed and not try and use another organ for what it wasn't what it was designed for. And so it's, it's kind of like that with God. He's designed certain things he's prescribed certain things for our um, for our development for our health for our maturity for our growth um, and for our salvation as well and a relationship with God and a relationship with uh, with others are those te- two things he prescribes so let's have a look at the scripture this morning we all good great Exodus chapter 16 verse 2 to 5. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died in the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each Day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Now I'm gonna jump ahead to verse twenty-seven. And it says, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Yeah, sounds delicious. See, I'm going to Google a recipe for manna. See what comes up. So, sometimes on your journey to freedom, God takes you not around but through the wilderness. The Israelites are in the desert, and we know that they, after they escaped from Egypt, after Moses set them free—that's the backstory—they spend uh, after they've spent 400 years in captivity, in slavery in Egypt. Moses has come. He set them free, but instead of going to the promised land, they spend 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, it's that place, it's that dry desert place. It can't sustain biological life, it can't sustain human life. It's dry, it's difficult, it's arduous, it's unpleasant, it's uncomfortable. We don't want to spend time in the wilderness. It's not nice. I think of a holiday, and I don't think of the wilderness. I think of a lush, tropical paradise with lots of water by the coast. I do not think, hey, babe, why don't we go spend two weeks in the desert? I'm never going to think that. I always want, you know, a, a lush, lively place that's alive. Now, here's the thing. This is quite confronting. The reason why they're in the wilderness is because God led them there. We know that after they escaped Egypt, God led them by a pillar of smoke and fire. And they followed that and they find themselves in the wilderness. No food, no water, difficult, dry, uncomfortable place. And they're there because God led them there. It was actually a part of his plan for them. It was a part of their journey. And even though they'd been taken out of slavery, instead of going right to the promised land, they spend 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. When I was younger, uh, one of the things I, I liked to do was breed birds. Okay, And I was a bit obsessed. But the first two birds I ever got They they were in a small cage and I spent, I saved up all my money and I bought two cockatiels and um, I'd read that to look after my birds I needed to exercise them. I needed to let them out of the cage and so I'd do that in my bedroom. (laughs) I'd close all the doors and the windows and let the birds exercise in my bedroom. And this one time I was doing it and I didn't realise that the curtain was closed but the sliding door behind the curtain was open. And my precious cockatiel that I'd saved up a lot of money for and I was completely obsessed with, actually went behind the curtain and escaped. And I was really devastated, right? I was really devastated. And a few days later, I was, you know, still in mourning, wearing black, you know? I had 600 people come and visit me. I didn't. But I'm standing in the front yard and the bird that escaped a few days prior is sitting in the tree in the front yard. And, it's, and I can hear it, and, and that's how it gets my attention because I'm familiar with its call. And I look up into the tree and I'm like, wow, it's, it's there. Um, I don't know how to get it. It's impossible to get it because if I try and climb the tree, it's gonna fly away. I don't have a net, I, don't have, you know, I can't get it. And, and I was just amazed that the bird was there. And the next thing I know, the bird just starts flying towards me and I feel it land on my head. Oh. And then I walk, uh, I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to, l- I felt it land on my head, but I don't want to look up because if I, if I look up, like I'm going to knock it off if it's there. So I have a feeling it's on my head. So I, I slowly kind of inch my way towards the, the front door and, and get in and close the door. And I've got my bird back. Yeah. And I just thought, that you know, you know, it baffled me for a while. Like, this bird's so silly. Like, it was free. The bird was free. It, tr- it tried for a very, very long time to escape. And finally, it escaped. And it was free. And now, it's come back. And it, I don't know, what, does it want me to put it back into that, you know, 60-centimeter cage that it was in before? And it, was, it baffled me. I'm like, you were free. Why come back to captivity? You were free. <laughs> I mean, I was happy. But I couldn't work it out in my mind until I read Exodus chapter 16, because we see a similarity between the bird and the Israelites. Verse 2, chapter 16, it says In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots. Of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, the Israelites have been set free from slavery and they're standing outside their place, outside the place of their slavery, and saying, We had it better in there. We had it better back when we were slaves in Egypt. And it's exactly like the bird. It's like, The bird thought it had it better back in the cage. And the Israelites are saying, we had it better back in Egypt when we were slaves, when we were under the lash, when we were being tortured, when we were being tormented, when all we wanted to do was be set free from Egypt, yep, we had it better back there. Take us back there. In the message version, version, it says this, it says, the question they ask is, why didn't God let us die in comfort in Egypt? Comfort? You were slaves under the lash in Egypt. How can you say you were comfortable in, in the place of your slavery? Well, what you see there by that statement, basically saying, take us back to where we, we were enslaved, it's kind of like the language of addiction. The Israelites are speaking with a, with a with an ad, kind of addiction mindset. They've screened out all the misery of Egypt, and they're saying, yep, take us back. It's like... They're denying all the negative uh, aspects of slavery and they're saying, yep, take us back. It was better there. It's better than where where we are now. And so even though they were technically out of slavery, in their hearts internally, they were still slaves. And here's the principle. You can get people out of slavery in an instant, like Zach. They, they crossed the Red Sea and they were free. You can get people out of slavery in an instant. It happens like that, but you, you can't get slavery out of people except through a long process. You can get the people out of slavery in an instant. You are free. Bird escapes, it's free. But you can't get the slavery out of the people except through a process. And that's what God wants for each one of us. You know, sometimes we'll stand on this altar and we'll feel zapped by God. And I love the power of the Holy Spirit because sometimes it does happen that way. Someone stands on this altar and they are set free and their life is completely transformed and changed and they are never the same again. But other times you are zapped, you believe, you, you, you respond to Christ, you believe, you stand on this altar, you're in tears, you know something's changed, you know you've been saved, but man, there's still this stuff that I've got to deal with. And I'm not like the next guy who was set free from all this stuff instantly. I've actually got to now work through this stuff. And it's almost like God sets us on a course through a process. And that's what I want to talk about, that he, he provides in that process as He's setting us free, as He's getting that slavery out of us, He provides. And He provides through that relationship with God and the relationship with others. The reason why they didn't go straight to the promised land is found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And this is what Moses says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. In other words, the reason you went through the wilderness was because you didn't know your own heart. You still didn't know who you were. So the purpose of God in the wilderness is not rapid transformation, rapid transportation, it's transformation. Yeah. So when you find yourself in that wilderness place, it might be God saying, hey, I'm working on your heart here. I've got you in the wilderness because I'm setting you free. Trust my process, trust me. I'm, I'm working on your heart in this place that is the wilderness, it's difficult, it's uncomfortable, it's dry, It's arid, but there's good in it. I'm working on your heart. I'm transforming you in this place. I'm transforming you. It's God's way. It's God's saying. You're free by what Christ has done on the cross. You are absolutely free. Now, I've got to get that freedom into you. I've got to work it into your heart. I've got to work it into your spirit. And often, he takes us through the wilderness to do that. And I like using this example of a guy, you know, and it's probably a common thing, a guy who's grown up, um, you know, in our Western society, he's had critical parents who wanted him to to get 99.99 in his HSC. And um, because they were so critical and so hard on him, you know, he's grown up and he lacks a bit of confidence and he finds it difficult to to have a solid relationship. And uh, maybe he's... He overworks. He, he's addicted to working, and he's scared of making commitments. And he comes to church, and he hears the gospel, and he is absolutely amazed, right? Because he's never been—he's never got an approval from his dad, but he's heard the gospel for the first time, and he's heard that, you know, every other god will say, "Give me a good record, obey me, and I'll accept you." But he's come to church, and he's heard about Jesus, and Jesus says, "No." Because of what Christ has done, I accept you. Because of what Jesus has done, you don't actually have to do anything. You are loved and accepted because of what Jesus has done. And that whole burden of of working and performing, he just feels that burden lift off his shoulders on the altar. And he's like, this is incredible. This is amazing. I've never felt like this. This is true. It, It sounds like truth to my spirit. It's incredible. It is like... Food for my soul. I've needed to hear this my whole life. Oh my goodness, I've finally found God. And he hears God say, he hears it for the first time. You now, when you believe in Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And they're the words he's wanted to hear his whole life. I'm, I'm well pleased with you. And then that Sunday night, It's like his whole world's been turned upside down. He's like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. And then he wakes up and he goes to work on Monday. And by Wednesday, you know, has the overworking thing just stopped? Has he all of a sudden found it easy to (laughs) just get into a relationship? Has all these commitment issues faded? Probably not by Wednesday probably not he's liberated he's set free he's saved he's received Christ in an instant he was set free he was liberated he's been taken out of slavery in an instant on this altar when he accepted Christ but there's still that slavery in him that needs to be worked out through God's process you can take him out of slavery in a second but it takes a while to get that slavery out of him and the reality is, the, the main re- way God actually does it is through the wilderness process. It is through trouble. And I know, uh, I wish I could say that it's all just you know rainbows and roses and, and great times, but God in His goodness, in His grace, is actually interested in seeing us develop and grow and, and shed that slavery from our hearts and from our spirits. Yeah. And one of the main ways He does that is through wilderness training. Who's with me this morning? Who agrees that one of the ways God does that is through wilderness training? Has anyone been through the wilderness? Okay, good, so I'm not alone. The good news is, He leads you into the wilderness, right? You're, in, you're a part of His process, but the good news is, He doesn't leave you there alone. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he provides for you exactly what you need in the wilderness process. He provides bread and he tells you how to get it. He provides manna in the wilderness and he gives you instructions on how to get it. Because even though he provides it, if you don't know how to get it, you'll still starve to death. So it's important that we listen to his instructions on how to get that which he provides. He says, there's manna, you've got to go get it, but these are the rules, you know, you don't get it on the Sabbath. Um, you get it every day, and you distribute it equally amongst yourselves. And I don't know why God God did it that way. You know, it was, manna was was an incredible miracle, and I still think of it today. And I think, what? Wow, what an incredible miracle! But you know, sometimes I think, why didn't God just go all the way? Why didn't He just put the manna in their stomachs? You know, why didn't they wake up? Why didn't they wake up in the morning and think, oh man, I'm hungry? And boom, the manna's the manna's in there. Why Why do they have to go out and actually collect it every day? And, you know, it's a miracle, but why not go all the way, God? Like, make it a real miracle, you know? Like, wow, we got matter in our stomachs. We're never hungry again. This is incredible. No, He actually, He provides a miracle, but they still have to be active participants of it. You know, when they walked out of Egypt, it was easy. It was kind of like a passive thing. They just walked out of Egypt and they were free. God's saying, no. Um, I want you to be an active partner in your liberation here, okay? I'm going to provide, but you need to be an active participant in this, okay? There's instruction, and I want you to, to follow the instruction. And these are the two instructions God gives. Relationship with God and a relationship with others. Relationship with God and community. And that's reading the story about the Israelites in the desert two things. It's about getting that relationship with God and that community. That's how God gets you through the wilderness. That's how God gets you out of that process. That's how He completes the process of your liberation. So first of all, a relationship with God. And primarily that's through prayer, through the Word, um, through praise, and through worship. In Deuteronomy 8 Moses says this about the manna he says God humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and so in the physical wilderness manna is that physical sustenance it's it's the bread it's it's the physical sustenance but it actually points to what's going on in the spiritual wilderness, your personal wilderness. Manna points to the sustenance, which comes through what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. The physical manna points to that. Physical manna for physical wilderness. Spiritual manna for spiritual personal wilderness. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so what that means is that relationship with God as you get into the word as you begin to dig into the word and find that truth about what God's saying about your situation and your life and you begin to declare his promises over your life you begin to build that relationship with God because you begin to find out more about who God is you get to understand his character you get to understand what he You know, who He is and what He wants for you and how he set you free. And all those truths begin to come alive. And as I was preparing this, I remember, you know, when Rose would often share this story when she was younger. And she actually found herself quite nervous. um, And and public speaking was not something she would ever do. um, But she just picked a scripture, the one that's, you know, from... 2 Timothy, I think it says, you know, God has not given me a spirit of fear or timidity, but a spirit of, spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And she said she just repeated, she kept repeating that every day. Uh, and this is when she was in high school. She just take that scripture and repeat it, and repeat it, and repeat it. And before she knew it, she was set free. Like all those, all that anxiety, all that fear around public speaking or um, getting up on stage, it just shifted. And it was all about her getting into the Word and finding out, hey, this is what God has given me. God has not given me this. He's given me this. And by doing that, you develop that relationship with God and with His Word. And so when you're in the wilderness, you need that relationship with God. You need that relationship with His Word because you need to learn how to turn truth into bread. That's what God is saying through the wilderness. You need to learn how to turn that truth into bread while you're in the wilderness. And think about what Jesus did. When he was led into the wilderness, the devil would come and tempt him with all these things. And what was he doing? What was he feeding on? What was he eating? He was hungry. You know, turning those rocks into bread was pretty tempting. He said, no, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So he turned that truth into his bread and he encourages us to do the same when we're in our wilderness. So you may believe it. It, it might be there. You, you might be reading things in the Bible and you might believe it, but God's saying, you've got to turn it into bread. You've, you've got to sit with it. You've got to digest it. You've got to, um, you've got to be in it every day, that relationship with God. You've, you've got to have that dialogue with God every day to work it into your spirit. It's like bread. You've got to eat it. You've got to digest it. You've got to get it into your spirit. Next thing we notice is the manna was every day. Why not once a week? Why not once a month? Why not a storehouse of manna? No, it was every day. Every day. When Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew, what did he say? He said, and he was almost certainly talking about the manna in the desert when he said, give us this day our daily bread. He taught us to pray. He said, give us this day our daily bread. And what Jesus is saying is you need that moment by moment, daily relationship with God. Not not, uh, an experience that you can store up for a month, not a, a weekly supply, not a monthly supply, but a daily moment by moment. Relationship with God. Give us this day our daily bread. Amen. Can we thank Jesus here this morning? And so, when we're in that wilderness, and we're working through that relationship, and, and we're building, we're developing that relationship with God. It's easy to, to to speak to God as you're developing that relationship in God. Just God, just fix all this stuff in my life, just zap me, you know, heal my sicknesses, um, you know, deal with this problem, fix this court case, whatever it might be that you're experiencing in your wilderness. But what we actually need when we're thinking about developing a relationship with God is we don't actually need our needs to be met. What we actually need is to go to God Not for your your needs, not just for, for him to fix the problems, but to go to God as the thing you need. Not to go to him to fix your needs or to supply your needs, but to go to him as the thing you need. He's what you need. And that's what a relationship with God is. It's actually saying, hey, God is what I need. And in the wilderness, that's what begins to develop. You begin to realize, okay, I'm in trouble here. This is a difficult place. It's not easy. And, you know, whether these things work out or whether they don't, I've got God. And that is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. That is food for my soul. Amen? Amen. So that's a relationship with God. And the second thing is a relationship with others. It's about community. And I want you to get this because it's pretty fascinating. Exodus chapter 16, verse 16 and 17. It says, Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for every individual you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it out, the omer, by the omer, he who had gathered much did not have much, and he who had gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. You know what it's saying? It's saying, um, you know, Darren went out, he's got quite big hands and he collected some manna and, and Rose went out and she's got pretty small hands. So she went out and she collected a little less. They Everyone collected different amounts. But God's saying, when you're in the wilderness, you don't go gather the manna for yourself and go back to your own tent. What he's saying is, go get the manna. Everyone go out, grab some manna, no matter how much you get, bring it back into the tent. Bring it together, measure it, so that the person with five people in his tent gets five omas. The person with three people in their tent gets three omas. In other words, what God is saying here is that though the manna was gathered by individuals, it's actually distributed through community. Though it was distributed, though it was collected individually, it's actually distributed through a community. And that is a huge truth right here. You get it through a community. And it's often tempting to go out and to to get that daily bread and retreat into your own bedroom or your own little world and and want to just eat it for yourself and go, oh, this is great, fantastic. But God's actually saying no. The main way, you get it. You've got to get it through the community. You can't just isolate yourself. You can't grab the manna and go and isolate yourself because it's not it's not how God works. To actually be fed a sufficient amount to actually get the food in the wilderness, you need to get it through the community. And this is the this is the sad truth. You can actually starve in the wilderness. Because the manna is distributed through the community. You can actually be in the wilderness. You could be collecting your own manna. You could be taking it back to your tent. But you could still actually starve because it's distributed through the community. It's not, it's not the winner takes all. It's not just go out there and collect, collect as much as you want. And, and it's a reality we can't escape. It's distributed through the community. God's put people around you, God's put maybe the person sitting next to you, maybe the person in front of you, He's put the right people around you, so that when you're in the wilderness, when you're in His process, the right people come around you. You've collected some manna, they've collected some manna, but the right amount of manna you need in your wilderness period will actually come to you, probably from the person sitting alongside you, probably through the community, and so when we talk about encouraging you to get into a connect group or getting getting involved in a team, it's not it's not because we're just trying to increase numbers or build a, a warm and fuzzy community here. No, it's actually because we know the God that we know the plan God has for you. And such an important part of that plan is to see you thriving in community and getting fed through a community. You know, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Christ is the head and the church is his body. And so often as, as the society fractures and, and and culture disintegrates and community breaks down, it's easy to think, oh, I don't need that. I, I can work this out on my own. And maybe... Maybe th- there's other things going on. Maybe you're actually a little bit socially anxious. Maybe uh, maybe you've been hurt. Or whatever that thing is, I want to encourage you to, to really um, bring it to God and let Him heal that part of your heart. Because if it's keeping you away from community, then it's not of God. Yeah, wow. If it's keeping you away from community, it's not of God. And He wants to heal that thing, whatever it is. Because His desire for you to, to, is to have that real Nourishing, sustaining community. It's so easy to say, I don't need it. It's so easy to say, uh, I'm okay on my own. I was thinking about this yesterday. We are the body of Christ. This is the body of Christ. You know, when uh, it blew my mind yesterday, I thought, when, when people say, No, I don't want the body of Christ, I don't want the community, I don't want to be a part of church, then they're actually refusing a part of Christ. It's his body. You can't just say, yep, I'll just have Christ's head. Christ's the head, I'll just have that. he says, well, this is my body. You want to have all of me. You want to have all of me. You don't want, you just, you don't just want my head. You don't want to behead Christ. You want the head and the body. Why don't we stand to our feet? Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you that in your wisdom, you've designed us in such a way where there are certain things you've prescribed from us that we can't escape. And we thank you for your word because it highlights those things. It highlights our need for a relationship with you. It highlights our need for a relationship with others. It highlights our need for a relationship with your church and your body.